Perhaps the greatest power that we have uh, alongside maybe faith, but the other, the other great, great power that we have as, as humans, you want to mess with God. You want to say, come over here, God, and know that he's coming. Humble yourself. And I always get that kind of response when I preach about humility. Um, and I do that same thing in my own heart. It's like, I know that, I know that. Just, do we have to talk about it? But yes, we do. So, uh, I'm going to talk to you for these two weeks, the Lord willing, about the power of humility or how to survive when the walls fall down. Is it possible that there exists an ancient mystery that holds the secret to America's future? Is it possible that this mystery lies behind everything from 9-11 to the collapse of the global economy? Is it possible that ancient harbingers of judgment are now manifesting in America? Is it possible that God is sending America a prophetic message of what is yet to come? Isaiah, the ninth chapter, if you are into the scripture and try to, I gave up on trying to memorize the Bible. I would like to know, I would like to kind of remember what's in every chapter. And if you say Isaiah 9 to me, that is, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that's what's in my memory about Isaiah 9. However, the next section is what we have before us. The Lord has sent a message against Jacob. It will fall on Israel. All the people will know it. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say with pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. But the Lord has strengthened reason's foes against them and has spurred their enemies on. Arameans from the east and Philistines from the west have devoured Israel with open mouth. Yet for all this, his anger... Speaking of God, is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. But the people have not returned to him who struck them, nor have they sought the Lord Almighty. We have been affected in our generation by people who have taught us that if you really have faith in God, you're not going to have any real problems. That real problems, real troubles in your life are because of sin or because you don't have the right kind of faith. Now, they are, they are wrong in other ways, too. I have tried to counter this one thing about 
trouble and specifically sickness being caused by sin by saying all the time, if you get sick, I'll say, well, are you sick enough to get the sin out of your life? To try to make fun of what I think is false. Now, sin can cause illness. And Jesus, on a couple of occasions, said, you need to stop sinning or something worse is going to come on you. So don't, don't misunderstand what the Scripture says. But that teaching is just pernicious. It's awful. You know what pernicious means? I don't either. But anyway, uh, it's, it's not funny. It's not good. And uh, the deal is you just, we, we try to make heaven here, okay? And that is a fleshly response to the blessings of God. I do that all the time unconsciously. I don't have to think. I need to feather my nest. I just feather my nest. I don't want to suffer pain. I just run from pain. I, you know, I don't have to think about it. It's a reflex. You have a similar one. Mine is pretty well developed. It might not be quite as good as mine. Mine is well developed, but keep working on it. You'll, you'll get better. And the Lord, see, has us here in a position so that if we get out of line and all of the calls and all of the encouragement and all of the stuff that he will do in our hearts during worship and during sermons and all that stuff, if we just have our hand up on something, he'll just jerk the rug out. And when you bust your bottom on the concrete a couple times, you get better hearing. It improves your auditory capabilities. It's not because he hates you. It's like Paul's thorn in the flesh. Don't worry about a thorn in the flesh, by the way. Paul got that because he had been translated to heaven and received all these revelations, some of which he couldn't even share, and it was just over-the-top stuff. And to keep him, the, he says, his words are, to keep me from being puffed up with sinful pride there was given to me this thing that helped me keep my feet on the ground he called it a thorn a thorn in his side and we don't know what it is i have my theory and i'm right of course but i won't i won't uh, expose you to that kind of wonderful theological understanding today later perhaps but the the troubles that we have in this life are to be reaped so that we can get a harvest of righteousness out of them. I, I told you a couple of weeks ago about the Lord speaking to me about giving my car away. My response was, I rebuke you, devil. And you can rebuke the devil all you want to and the Holy Spirit won't go away. He's stronger than your little rebukes. And the Lord is trying to get us like his son. You remember this line, God the farmer, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish but have eternal life. Now, I paraphrased that for you, that sermon, and I want to repeat this. God loved the world and he loved his son so much and he gave his son to the extent that he fell not only to the ground but died so that he could get many, many more just 
like him. Father was willing to sacrifice the son. And what he gets out of it is you. Are you worth it? Of course you are. God's not stupid. Now I look at my heart and I say, boy, I hope the rest of them are worth it because it's really iffy about me. But he intends to form Jesus Christ in us. He intends for the character of the Savior to be formed in us so that we can respond to him. And when we stand in his presence, it'll just be like home. We're just there. We, we will recognize the older brother. We will recognize the father. And I don't want to make light of heaven because it's far grander than what I can ever describe. But God is out to get Christ formed in us. And if it takes trouble, it's a lot of trouble for him because he has to set up stuff that can be redemptive. Now, I know this is a really scary subject to us because we are Americans, most of us, and we have our rights, and one of our rights is onward and upward and bigger and better. I've heard people say, godly people, when someone would lose a job or have some kind of loss, oh, God will just give you something better. That's, a, that's very American. It's, it's onward and upward. God has promised to take care of you and he is faithful and cannot fail. It will happen. But it doesn't have to be better. It doesn't have to be larger. It doesn't have to be newer. It doesn't have to be shinier. It doesn't have to cost more. He's going to take care of you. And you're going to be fine in him. And this is, you know, we're Americans. I'm an American. It's like, what are you preaching like that for? Well, I think it's in the scripture. That I think this is what the scripture says. And it's kind of like I told you that I wouldn't preach on tithe for the first 14 years of my ministry because I got a percentage of the tithe offering on a Sunday morning. And that just felt so much like uh, vested interest and, um, you know, all this kind of uh, stuff that, you know, I, and I, you know what that is? That's either too much pride or insecurity to just go ahead and preach the word and let people think that what they want to think. Well, he's just trying to get more money. Maybe. Or maybe I'm trying to teach the word to you and get you more money. You know, I mean, but I didn't do that. I did not preach on tithe like I do since I got on a salary. And I'm not proud of that. I'm sorry for that. If I ever get a chance to speak to those people again in those congregations, I will apologize because I was wrong. They need to know God blesses people who give, that you reap what you sow. And if you can get a little hilarious, that God loves that even more. Maybe that's the way to be loved more by God. It doesn't say he won't take grouchy money. He just loves a cheerful giver. And if he won't take grouchy money, we will. Make your check out, Crown Point Church. Or Bill Newby, which, you know. And that, was, that last part was a joke, okay? But you need to laugh and make me feel like some of my sarcasm is okay. Um, so when, when troubles come, we, we don't want to be told, well, it's the judgment of God. 
I remember many, many years ago when the AIDS thing came out, it was before many of you were born, it became a big issue in this country, and it was, it was kind of focused in San Francisco, and people were saying, do you think that's a judgment of God? And always the smart aleck, I said, well, I don't think it's a blessing of God. And you know, as, as dumb as that is to say that, it's actually quite true. And we need to understand that we're in a position where we can, we need to be in a position where we can say, God is against you. And if you think this is bad, it may get worse if you don't submit to him. Well, we don't want to do that. It's like, well, you know, we want people to come to the Lord. And boy, do we want people to come to the Lord. But people who are suffering, like the little gal in the testimony a minute ago uh, on the video, it's not good without the Lord. And if, he, if you come to Him and rejoice in Him and love Him, and He wants to take you up, and you've got good hearing kind of like I do, and so He says it, and He says it more loudly, and He says it even more loudly, then He reaches down and goes, and all of a sudden my hearing is improved. And you're probably about that sensitive too. Well, do we want to just be half-baked Christians we wonder if we'll even go into heaven or do we want an abundant entrance like the scripture speaks about what do you want I have decided and it's not that I want trouble but I have decided that I am not going to hell if you go to hell and my first word to you is don't but if you do don't look for me save your time I'm not going to be there Whatever it takes and whatever God has to do, whether it's slapping here or my other cheeks, he can slap wherever he wants to because I'm not going to hell. I don't want to go. I don't have to go. Jesus died so that I don't have to go. The Holy Spirit is stronger than all of my stubbornness and all of my rebellion and all of the slowness. Stronger. Holy Spirit can do it. He can get you. I know that you're a, you're a tough case. You impress me. But you don't impress the Holy Spirit. You don't impress Him. He's out to get you. So we read in Isaiah 9, after the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. After that passage, the Lord has sent a message against Jacob. It will fall on Israel. All the people will know it. Ephraim the inhabitants of Samaria, who say with pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedar. But the Lord has strengthened reason's foes against them and has spurred their enemies on, and so forth. All of us remember where we were, 9-11-01. It's burned in your mind. As, as in every great tragedy, you can remember exactly. I remember where I, I, remember where I was when the Challenger exploded. It just, you just remember those things. I could tell you, and many of you were not alive then, but I could tell you what, what was going on, what I was doing, and even that I had the flu when JFK was assassinated when I was reading The Cross and Switchblade, laying in the little day bed, sick, reading that book. 
And the neighbor came running over, crossed the alley, and gave us that news. We remember those things. So when 9-11 happened, we remember that that's burned into our, into our minds. And many of us just kind of stopped our day and watched in horror. And the unthinkable happened. The wall, the uh, buildings collapsed. All over the place, the response was, we will rebuild. We will rebuild everywhere. The U.S. president said that. The mayor said that. Other people in authority around New York said that. The mayor of, I mean, the governor of, of New Jersey And the next day, September 12, a Wednesday, Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle stood in the Senate and read a resolution. And in this was this line. But there is a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at times such as this. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dress stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. And, you know, conceivably those were comforting words. It is uncanny, the context of that scripture, and really distressing. The context is... The Lord has sent a message against Jacob, it will fall on Israel... They say with pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. And I checked the congressional record, and, uh, and that uh, Earl is, is on, I think, the next slide. It's going to whether it gets shown or not, but it's, it's in the system. And if you want to check it out and want to write all that down, you can, or I, you can call me later and I'll give it to you. Email me and I'll email it to you if you don't want to write it down. Now when the leaders of a nation adopt something, God honors that. And these leaders adopted this scripture. Now, our response as a nation could have been to humble ourselves, which is what God was calling for in this setting in Isaiah. Because the northern kingdom of Israel... The nation had divided. The southern southern, uh, part of Israel was called Judah, and the northern part was called Israel. And they just immediately, when they separated from Judah, they immediately set up all kinds of substitute gods and worship forms. And it came down to this. God intended for them to turn to him. He worked with them. He sent them messengers. It was to that bunch that Elijah went and called down fire in contest with the uh, priests of Baal. Called fire from heaven. And the people's response was, the Lord, he is God. That means Jehovah, the Lord, covenant-keeping name. Jehovah, he is God. And they cried that and chanted that. But the humility and the breaking and the melting of the heart that God looks for did not occur. And the kings, I preached, I mentioned this in a sermon one time. I don't remember how much of the sermon it took, but every time I go through uh, 
the Chronicles and the story of the northern kingdom, it talks about this king did thus and so and thus and so, but he did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. If you've ever read through that, that recurs, just it is reiterated endlessly, almost. Well, every king, it's said about him two or three times. What were the, son, what were the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat? There was another Jeroboam later. So it's Jeroboam, son of Nebat. He was the first king. He was raised up by God. He was anointed by God. He was in the will of God. God promised him four generations if he would follow him. And he had no faith. And I think this, this comes down to our stubborn hearts of rebellion and our stubborn unbelief. We will not believe that God can take care of us. When, when those evil people, and I'm not saying that God blew down those towers. It was taken out by evil people. But God's hand of protection was gone. And it did not keep them out. They destroyed that. They destroyed their own lives. I've often wished that these suicide bombers and people like those suicide guys could just return to earth for 24 hours. I just, oh, but God's not going to do that because they, nobody would believe them anyway. Because they're not saying what people want to hear. And we, I say they, nobody would believe them. That's not true. You and I would believe them. But we already believe that. You know, we already think they're in hell, and I'm not glad about they're in hell. I wish they could come back and tell the others, don't go there, it's bad. But they wouldn't believe them. They just think they're crazy. Now, when God says, come here, come to me, you know what the right answer is? Yes, and then start walking toward that voice. That's the only right answer. Because if you delay, he can get a hold of you and drag you or more. And if he loves you, he will do whatever it takes to get you. Some of you have loved ones and especially children that haven't been living for God and you want God to arrest them. But there is this hesitation in your heart. God, just get them. Whatever it takes, get them. Don't let them go to hell. Well, after a while, you, you get to that place. But we're afraid God is bad, and he would hurt them, and their pain would cause us pain. And so we just don't go that, to that prayer. You do get there eventually. And I, I know that I now don't mess around with, oh, God, you know, do thus and so to draw them. I just say, God, just get them. He's a better father and a better friend, and he loves them more than I do. Why wouldn't I trust him? He's not, he doesn't get pleasure out of hurting them. He gets pleasure out of them responding to judgment by humility and humbling themselves before him and believing his promises and turning to him with a whole heart and living for him. That's what he wants. And that's what he wanted from this nation. But we never did do that. In, in 01, we did not humble ourselves. As a matter of fact, we put it on our bumper stickers. The power of pride. That was scary to me. Because the scripture says pride goes before a... And I, I have said in the pulpit to you, 
I would just wish I could see a bumper sticker sometime that said, the power of humility. Because, honey, humility can shake anything that needs to be shaken. Because it draws the hand of God. And when we understand that God is trying to save us, you know, if we were smart, we would have said after 9-11, man, I'm going to get with God and I'm going to live with all my heart. But it, we didn't have that coming into our churches. It was just the same bunch after just a few weeks. Just the same bunch. Nothing changed. And then we had to try to process and, and forgive people who want us to die so much that they're willing to die with us. That's a lot of hatred. And we don't receive that well. And it, that'll improve your prayer life, by the way, if you come to terms with that. But Jesus said, if you don't forgive those who, who do you wrong, then he won't forgive your sins. Don't forget that when you... When you listen to this, because God is not interested in us just being patted and pampered. This is not heaven. This is where I hope we can die to ourselves and live to God so that when we get there, we will be at home. And we have this American dream. I want to, I want to have all of this, all of these things. I want this nice home, these, these nice cars. I want to give my children at least an undergraduate degree. We have all these dreams. And it, it, you know, all this stuff is going to pass away except our children. They're eternal. But an undergraduate degree in eternity may not mean as much as you think. And I'm not against it. Please, kids, don't be an ignoramus, okay? I have, I have a wonderful granddaughter that lives here, and I have one that lives in Minnesota. And she will text regularly that she'd like to be here. When This past week I, I said, well, if you weren't so ignorant, which is true, that's the reason we go to school. Not stupid. They're not, she's not stupid. She's quite bright. But she's ignorant. She's got to learn all this stuff. Smile a little more broadly, okay? No. Our leaders said, they, they picked up without realizing it, this passage of Scripture and said, but we will rebuild. There, there was no humility. It would, have been, it would have been uncanny if President Bush had appeared on TV, not duded out, but sort of unkempt and on his knees and kind of nervous, saying, folks, fellow citizens, whatever he would call us, we've got to get right with God. I call on you to meet God. Whatever your form of faith, work it in its humblest form. We didn't get that. Bless God. And we went to war. And we are at war now. It's a, it's a pretty quiet war. They tell me that the raids that, that took out Osama bin Laden happen every day. They just don't deal with the famous folks but we're at war but instead of humbling ourselves and crying and praying we don't want to be messed with don't 
mess, I don't want to worry. I don't want to be stressed. You're going to increase the drug company's revenues and the psychiatrist's revenues. We're all going to have to have psychiatric meds. You talk like that. Well, if you don't have faith, then take medicine. And I, I, that implies that if you have faith, you don't take medicine. And I don't believe that. But in that context, just leave it there. Here's the deal, folks. Not only did we say the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild. But at ground zero, a 20-ton granite stone quarried from upstate New York has been placed in the foundation of the Freedom Tower that's now under construction. And the website where you can, where you can get this word, it's uh, the uh, webpage is Stone Business. And if that's too long for you to copy, email me and I'll send it to you. Now, there are some other things that I'm going to cover next week where the U.S. has just fit in line by line by line by line. And when those planes hit those towers 12 years ago, 11 years ago this fall, there was... A phenomenon that, that tied that passage which was given to Israel, the northern kingdom, to the U.S. Tied it to us. And I don't like these kinds of things. And I, these guys that say, bless God, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I hate that. And I disagree with them. We're not as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. We're not as bad as some other nations, by the way, who have not received some of the judgment that we have. But we have so much light, and we were dedicated to God at the beginning, and this is scary. And I don't, I don't want to frighten us. What I want us to do is, is respond to the Scripture. And let me just go there. He gives us more grace says James. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, the power of pride. You're stronger than God? Get into pride. But he's against you. And you're probably not stronger than God. What happens to the humble? They get the strength of God. Grace, my favorite definition of grace is, it is the power to get done what God is requiring. I love that definition. It's like the grace of God. And you've been in situations where you were under high stress and you prayed and had others pray and you went through that deal and it was like, that was way too easy. That's called the grace of God. That happens to me pretty regularly because I need help, okay? The grace of God comes to the ones who humble themselves. Submit yourselves then to God. You resist the devil. See, we want to resist people. We want to resist government. We want to resist God if he's calling for humility. But you resist the devil and he will flee. How do you resist the devil? You say, devil, this is really stinky. And I am going to accept it as from the hand of God to raise me up 
into a higher place of knowing him and walking with him and believing his promises. That's resisting the devil. Now, you may have to speak occasionally, and, and it's not complicated because we have the authority through Jesus Christ. Come near to God, he will come near to you. And here, I think I was just laughing at me and you as I was studying this. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Because that's what we are. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and joy to gloom. You say, well, what about worship? Are we supposed to be joyous in worship? Listen, you humble yourself like this, mourn and wail over your sins, and you'll enter into a level of worship you've never been, and it'll blow Nick and the others right off the platform nearly. They'll want to do it every week. They're going to want to lead you. They're going to want, if they go anywhere else to minister, they'll want to take you with them. It is, it is an upward thing. It is God's thing, but it is not about the American dream. It is about the plan of God. It is, folks. It is. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will dance on your head and stomp you in the mud. You want to be lifted up? Go down. Do you know that it's a lot easier to go down than go up because you have to fight people? You want to go down, people won't fight you. Your friends will say, oh, don't do that, but they won't stop you. You try to go up, everybody wants to, <laughs> to stop you. Easier. It is easier to walk with God in humility than it is to walk in our flesh in pride. In the first place, it's false. It doesn't feel good. It isn't right. Our spirits know it's wrong. And we're not satisfied on the inside. There's not that satisfaction. You humble yourself and believe the promises of God. And it feels good. And I'm not into feelings like that. But man, I can tell the difference. I walked in this morning, and we, we meet with the worship team and the pastors for an early prayer after the worship team gets through with their rehearsal, and there was such an anointing here that I started crying. That's my manly way of responding to the power of the Holy Spirit. I cry. That's okay. You've got to be secure in your masculinity to be able to admit that. So there. I just started crying. God is here. He is blessing us. I look at what he's doing in your lives. We, we have all of these awful problems, and we have these incredible answers to prayer. We had a, uh, I, I gave you Patty's testimony the other day, and we, we got one from Cindy last Sunday. and It's just like on and on and on. God is meeting us. Why? Because we don't have sense enough to do anything but cry to him and try to depend on him. And that actually is humility. I've been calling you bad words, but you're not as bad as I've said, some of you. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just, it just comes out. But God loves you, and he loves us. He loves this nation. And he's not mad at this nation for the pleasure of just beating us up. He wants us to respond to him in humility. And if the nation doesn't do it as a whole, I want you to know that you and I can and we will be under the blessing of God. Now, if things go south as far as, uh, as more south, 
As far as our economy and so forth, we'll all suffer with that, etc., etc., etc. But we'll be in the hands of God. We'll be in the hands of God. And he is so strong, and he is so good, and he is so loving. And I wish I could stand here for two hours and just repeat that over and over again. He is so strong. He is so good. He is so loving. He's out to get you. You have had, those of you who have suffered from guilt, you know that God's out to get you with his great big fist. And if you just slow down long enough for him to catch you, it's just going to be pow, in a greasy spot. Well, he's out to get you. But it's like this. And, and his arms are far longer than mine, and mine are not short. But he can reach right straight past your facade, your boundaries against him, reach right into your heart and pull you right up and love you as unlovable as you are and as stinky rebellious as you are. He loves you. Submit to him. Let him have his way. He loves you. May we pray. Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we bring to you our hearts.